If you have a Bible with you this morning, would you turn with me to the opening chapter of the letter to Hebrews? We're going to read all of chapter 1 together this morning. Um, Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to read all of the first 14 verses of chapter 1 together. And as we read this, we remember that this is God's word to us this morning. Hebrews 1 verse 1 says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish But you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe you will rule them up. Like a garment they will be changed. But you are the same. And your years will have no end. And to which of the angel has he ever said. Sit at my right hand. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Amen. We thank God for the reading of his word this morning. Thank you to our choir this morning. If you have your Bible, would you open it again to Hebrews 1. Spend some time looking at these 14 verses together. Today marks the 12th of January. It means that we are 12 days into a new year, 12 days into a new decade. But more scarily, it means that Christmas was a whole 18 days ago. And one of my highlights of Christmas every year is a Christmas morning service in church when all of the little children come up to the front and they tell you about their present. They share how excited they are that they have got this present that they wanted. 
Every new toy just seems to be the greatest thing in all of the world. But I'm sure by now, the 12th of January, if you have any kids running around, that the toys that cause great excitement at Christmas that were bought and received are potentially now a little bit broken or a little bit forgotten about. The batteries have maybe run out of charge and no other batteries can be found in the house. Something has possibly fallen off as they have fought with their sister for it. Or maybe there's something else which has began to take its place. They look for another toy in the toy shop and they want something new now. To be honest, we're not much better ourselves as adults here this morning. Think about it. What are we really saying when we get up on Boxing Day and rush out to the January sales? Well, firstly, we're saying that we love a good bargain. And who doesn't in Northern Ireland love a good bargain? And secondly, we're kind of saying to ourselves that we're not overly content with just the presents that we received at Christmas. This morning, we're going to spend time looking at this passage in Hebrews 1. And I want to ask us the question, how often do we do that with Jesus? We're in this awkward period now, aren't we? Where Christmas is just behind us. And we've started back to work. I start back to uni tomorrow. Church life is beginning to pick up again. It's all starting to get a little bit busy. And I wonder, how often does Jesus become like that toy? which we slowly begin to lose interest in again. You see, at Christmas, it's great, isn't it? We sing all the lovely carols. We do all the lovely readings. We get to partake in all of the great Christmas things. We hear lots of talks about this baby and how great he is and about him coming into the world for us. But there's a potential for us to dip, isn't there? Other things take up our time and our attention. The enthusiasm that we had when we were off drops. And this morning as I was thinking about what it was to say, I read these words in Hebrews 1 and I was reminded again just how truly great Jesus is. It got me excited again. I had experienced that little dip. And these words remind us of his character They reminded me of his purpose in coming into this world. They remind us of what he has done and where he is now. And so this morning as we look at this passage, I want us to see that Jesus rules, reigns, and is superior to all of creation. And as we do this, I want us to draw out three very straightforward little points to help us work our way through this passage. They will be hopefully on the screen behind me. And they are that the only Son speaks the word of God. The only Son is superior to the angels. And the only Son sits at the right hand of God. And so firstly, the only Son speaks the word of God. The book of Hebrews is without doubt one of the books of the Bible which has caused much discussion and agreements and disagreements throughout all of church history. Much ink has been spilled on the issue of authorship. Who wrote Hebrews? This morning, that's not a place where I hope to go. Instead, I want us to say that this unknown author writes this book in order to proclaim the great supremacy and sufficiency 
of Christ Jesus. The, old, the author here uses Old Testament passages and pictures to build for himself an argument for us as the readers to see how great Jesus is, to see his ultimate identity, and to see and understand why we should live our lives completely sold out for him. This past week or two, as we've celebrated the start of a new decade, I wonder how often you find yourself just looking back. Um, I read an article over Christmas, and it was arguing about what was the greatest invention of the 20th century. Some people were saying it was television, nuclear power, computers, the internet, aeroplanes. The list was really endless of what has been made in the 20th century. Although one, or, one person was arguing that the greatest invention of all of the 20th century was the telephone. And the, the guy who was writing the article quite comically said the reason for this was it changed how we communicate forever. He wrote these words. He says, Now mothers could call and find out if their children made it to their destination without any mishaps. Husbands could tell their wives when they were running late. And even wives could tell their husbands to stop and pick up the kids or pick up a pint of milk or to go to the bank because the loan officer called. Communication changed in the 20th century as the telephone was brought in. And communication has changed here because of Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 1 begins with those words, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. The story of the Bible is a simple one. It is an unfolding history of God and man's relationship with one another. Right from the start, right from the Garden of Eden and throughout the entire Old Testament, God is not pictured as a distant or silent God towards his people. Instead, he's pictured as a God who speaks to his people, whether that be on a mountaintop to Moses or in the still small voice after the earthquake and the fire. God has been always pictured as a God who desires to be in relationship and communion with his people. And even as the people rebelled against God, he sent them people, he sent them judges to help them see and to change the way in which they were living, to help them break the spiral of sin they are in. And when the people of Israel, his people, faced exile to a foreign land, he sent prophets to convict them of their sin, to remind them of God's goodness, and to point them to a greater prophet who would come and rescue them fully. Jesus has come into the world, and he brings how God speaks to his people to its ultimate fulfillment. He fulfills everything that is said about him. John Stott comments on this passage by saying, Ezekiel portrayed the glory of God, but Christ reflected it. Isaiah expounded the nature of God as holy, righteous, and merciful, but God manifested it. And Jeremiah described the power of God, but Christ displayed it. The Son of God proclaimed God to a world, not only just with his words, 
but with his very life and being. He was God incarnate, the son of God who came as a baby to Bethlehem. And Jesus, whilst he spent time on this earth, taught his followers and taught us this morning through the scriptures on how it is that we are to live as his people in the world today. God has spoken to us by his son. And so what does that mean for us here this morning? Very simply, I think that we need to be reminded this morning that if God has spoken to us, we ought to listen to what he has said. And so ask this question of your past week. Do we live lives that follow the commands of Jesus? You see, throughout the Bible, time and time again, the people of Israel, they failed to listen to God and what he was saying to them. And so this morning, as we gather here and first put it down, God has spoken to us through his son. And so we must reflect this. We need to think upon that fact. Are we currently living lives as Christ calls us to live? Christ, when he entered the world, began a new order of things which was ought to be continued by the church until the consummation of all things, until the end. So then this morning, how then, by God's grace, can we change? How do we grow? How do we get better at obeying the teaching of the Son? As we consider this, we move on to our second thing that we see in Hebrews 1. That the only son is superior to the angels. For me, one of my favorite parts of the nativity story is the visitation of the angels to the shepherds. Because as you read that story, you just wonder at the amazement they must have seen that night in the sky as they saw this glorious appearance of the angels. Luke, in his gospel, writes these words. He wrote, And an angel of the Lord shone appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And as I was thinking about this this week, I wondered if this is the reaction of common men to angels. What then this morning should be our reaction to the glory of the Son of God? Hebrews 1 describes the Son of God in such visual and majestic language to highlight to us just how glorious he truly is. Listen to how the author describes the Son of God. He finishes verse 2 by telling us that he has been appointed the heir of all things through whom all things were created. This Son is nothing less than the sovereign Lord of the entire universe. And as followers of this son, we too will share in this glorious inheritance that he receives. We will be heirs with Christ. You see, this inheritance was not given to a mere good man from Galilee. But this inheritance is given to the only son who is perfect and the very radiance of God's glory. This is the one who was involved in the very creation of the universe in which he was going to inherit. 
The Son was the embodiment of the glory of God. The author here is taking us on a journey throughout the Old Testament where God's glory appears time and time again. It appears on the mountaintop, in the tent, in the temple, in the Ark of the Covenant. But this Son, this Jesus, is the very radiance of God's glory. All other appearances of God's glories were veiled. And here the eye could not behold them. But in Jesus we have seen it displayed for us. He is the radiance of God's glory. This son has been stamped by God's nature. Growing up I was mesmerized by tattoos on people. Especially on my grandfather. He had a tattoo on his forearm for when he served in the territorial army and I used to make him time and time again roll up his sleeve so that I could see this tattoo on his arm he had been marked to show that he had served in the army and for his country Jesus the son of God has been stamped and sealed with God's very nature and so as we look at the son we see the attributes of God made visible We see who God is and his characteristics in the person and the work of Lord Jesus Christ. And this son has such an inclusive, exclusive relationship with the father. The author here uses different Old Testament passages, taking a much deeper meaning out of them in order to highlight this point for us. That the son has a much greater relationship than any of the angels. The use of the rhetorical question in verse 5 shows us this. Look at it with me. It says, For which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. His name as son is more excellent than the name of messenger. And we must hear this this morning. Not that the angels are not important in the Bible. But the author here is trying to show us. Just how much greater this son is. He has a name and authority that they do not have. And so they ought to worship this son. They ought to recognize how much greater he is to them. They are to cry out that his throne is forever and ever. This son is not just given a temporary name of son or messenger. The name son is an eternal and glorious name given only to Jesus. He is exclusive. And the angels are given the task of praising, honoring and glorifying this son. A task that we are called to share in. This morning, as we live our lives for the Son. As we think about that, we so quickly see our own shortcomings in our own lives. We see how often we fail to live our lives for Jesus. I don't think that should scare us this morning. Instead, I think that should drive us to an amazement at who this Son is and what he has done for us. 
in our failure, we should want to cry out in praise and thanksgiving. Like the author to the Hebrews, we should be able to ponder upon the many characteristics of this son. Giving thanks that he is the embodiment of God's glory. Giving thanks that he is the perfect fulfillment of the whole Old Testament. Giving thanks that he has created and reigns over all of creation. This morning the Son is worthy of our praise. And so we should sing praises unto him. We should live our lives in a way that glorifies him because he is superior to all things. He is superior to us and he is superior to the angels themselves. And so he deserves much praise and adoration because of that. He also deserves our praise because of our third and final point. That the only son sits at the right hand of God. The author here in verse 3 writes these words. He says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The author here is setting up a theme which he is going to take out through the rest of the book. That Jesus is this once and for all sacrifice. He is the great high priest who makes a way for us sinful and broken people to be made right with God again. We sang those words together this morning. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, Isaac Watt penned those words in 1707 as he prepared to lead a communion service and reflect on the death of Christ. This is something that we need to do each and every day. We need to survey this wondrous cross because on it, Christ died as God's sacrificial provision for our greatest problem, which is our sin. And as the author highlights this work, he makes sure to emphasize that this is a final and complete work. This son has done something for us that we could never have done for ourselves. He has paid the ultimate ransom for our sin. He has made a way for us to be made right with God again. And once he had made this eternal single sacrifice for the sins of the world, the son sits at the right hand of God. Reminding us again that this work was ultimately finished and complete. So I saying to the boys and girls, many of us, as we finish a hard day's work, come in, we take a seat, our working day is done, we get a cup of tea in hand, we wait for our dinner, we watch some television, we spend time with our families or with our friends. Christ has completed his work this morning. And so he has sat down on the right hand of God. He has made a way for us to be made right with God again. On the cross, as he cries out, it is finished. It was so. And therefore, he is given this unique place at the Father's right hand. Verse 13. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand? Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
The work of the Son has been accepted by God, and now he deserves to sit in this place of adoration and exaltation. One day all of creation will stand and give him the praise that he deserves. All of this world will adore the Son for who he is and what he has done. Some will do that in forgiveness. Some will do that in judgment. And so as we finish, what about us this week? What is it that we can take from Hebrews 1 that helps us to live for Jesus in our day to day? I think Hebrews 1 has lots it can encourage and challenge us with. Mainly though I think this morning, it reminds us how we ought to treasure the Son. We have to ensure this morning that this that he isn't a forgotten about toy at Christmas. But instead, this son is the most important thing in our very lives. And then as a result of this, he shapes and he molds us. He guides us and he leads us into how it is that we are to live as his people. God has spoken to us through his son. And so this week we should be actively seeking to listen to God. We should be taking time to read his words and to listen and to live as Jesus teaches us how to live. And as we do this, we want to reflect on his greatness, remembering his very many attributes, remembering afresh this morning his great sacrifice for us, Because today we will struggle to live lives that honor and glorify God fully. We can feel a real weight with that as we think about how we need to obey his commands perfectly. We ought to seek to do that. But as we do that, we remember that Christ's work is complete. Our salvation is secure. And it does not depend on our good works doesn't need added to by our perfect obedience. We are completely unable to add anything onto our salvation. And that is why we seek to live for God in response to what he has done for us. We praise him with everything that we have because he has given us his son in our place, this glorious son, so that we are looked upon as perfect and come come back into relationship with God again, assured of this great inheritance that is ours for all of eternity. This is the gospel. We have much to praise and give thanks for. Let's pray together. Father God, we know even this morning that as we look at your word, that it reads us. The Father, as we spend time looking at it, it is a mirror to our very hearts. And God, we know this morning that we are broken and sinful people seeking to live our lives for you. Father, would you help us to be reminded that Jesus' work is complete and final? That we don't need a Jesus plus religion But actually all we need is Jesus because he is enough. 
He is everything that we need to be made right with you. Father God, as you look upon us as your people here this morning, you don't see our sin and our rebellion. May you see the finished work of Jesus Christ. Father, would you help us this week to live lives that glorify you? Would you help us in our daily struggle to turn our hearts back to you and to live for King Jesus? Help us to give him the praise that he deserves. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and say,